Welcome to our Exchanges at Goldman Sachs Markets Update for Friday, July 31st. Each week, we check in with a leader across the firm to get his or her take on what they're watching in the markets. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. And today's guest is Christian Muller-Glissman of Goldman Sachs Research. Christian heads asset allocation research efforts within portfolio strategy. And his team is out with a new report called Balanced Bear Repair, Asset Allocation with the Risk of Fat and flat markets. We'll be talking about that research today. Welcome to the program, Christian. Hey, Jake. Thanks for having me. So we've seen a pretty sharp recovery in equity markets, a little bit of sell-off in bonds post the COVID-19 bear market. What does that mean in terms of how expensive stocks and bonds look respectively right now? Yeah, I'm absolutely right. It's been an absolutely remarkable recovery in equities. We pretty much had the strongest kind of quarterly return since the Great Depression, obviously following one of the deepest bear markets in history, but still very remarkable. But to us, what's particularly amazing is how little the bond market has sold off. And that tells you already a bit about the drivers of this sharp recovery, because the monetary support and, uh, of course, the fiscal support as well have been pretty integral in stabilizing risk appetite. So central banks have really been anchoring the bond market and bond yields. And as a result of that, you have this big gap between the two. But as a result of that, as you were saying already, both the bond market and equities look expensive right now. If you look relative to the very long-run history, that becomes particularly apparent, where equities are well above the 90th percentile in terms of their Schiller PEs, and and obviously bond yields are close to all-time lows. And for a multi-asset investor, that clearly poses a certain amount of concern with regards to your return outlook. High valuations clearly mean lower returns, but also with regards to your risk, because high valuations also mean that, yeah, you're more vulnerable to shocks. And looking in history, what you actually find is there's two comparable periods, two parallels, and both of them don't look particularly great. One of them is the golden 20s, where equities got really expensive at the time. At the same time, you had disinflation after World War I for a decade, which really boosted bonds and equities. And we all know how that ended um, in the Great Depression with a pretty terrible bear market, both for equities, but also bonds couldn't really save your portfolio. And the other period is the 50s and the 60s, also often called the golden 50s and later the 60s, where you had another equity bubble at the time, the nifty 50 bubble in equities. And bonds were also getting quite expensive. And then you got the inflation, the stagflation of the 70s. So, so that's the big fear one has that you kind of face these big tail risks that either growth will kind of fall off a cliff and you don't have protection from the bond market anymore. But on the other hand, if you do see inflation return, equities might actually suffer because they've benefited so much from lower yields. Yeah. So, I mean, the question always is how long these conditions can last and, and certainly surprisingly long in, in this case. You say in your research that equities are likely to be stuck in a fat and flat range. What exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, we often get people asking what we mean by that. It's essentially not meaning necessarily that equities will be flat and you're not going to make any return. To us, it just means that equities will deliver below average returns and with above average volatility. So in summary, the sharp ratio is going to come down. And one has to know, like, I mean, the last decade is really remarkable in terms of the risk-adjusted returns. The sharp ratio of the S&P 500 before this crisis, kind of into the end of last year, was pretty much the highest in 100 years. And we just think it's unlikely you're going to have similarly above average returns for equities. And it's very likely that volatility will linger a bit. Why? I mean, we find that volatility reflects uncertainty 
and it reflects the kind of macro fundamentals from a level point of view. And what we find is that the level of growth is still very weak right now. Even though we see improvements, we see the signs of a recovery, the level of growth is very weak. But more importantly, the uncertainty is very high. Like we have a lot of question marks with regards to the growth outlook, both near term and in the medium term, but also with regards to the inflation outlook. And that's something completely new because in the last 30 years, you never really worried about inflation running away and inflation was incredibly anchored. And we find actually the best backdrop for equities is exactly that. If inflation is anchored and rates are anchored and growth is at least good, it doesn't have to be stellar, but at least good. And that's been the last decade. And that's a lot of people call it the Goldilocks scenario, but it's really been favorable for equities. You on top of that had a corporate sector that did phenomenally relative to the economy, like profit margins expanded, you had tax cuts. You had generally valuation expansion, all like equities have really got more expensive because lower real yields. All of these things you cannot extrapolate. So it feels like the next uh, few years um, are likely to be lower returns and possibly higher volatility, at least in the near term, possibly longer. So another thing you see in the report, Christian, is that current conditions mean less opportunity for diversification across asset classes. Why is that? Yeah, it's kind of the most daunting challenge for asset managers in the next few years. Like Harry Markowitz, Nobel Prize winner, um, said already in the 50s, diversification is the only free lunch in investing. And it's really been true. The last 30 years, the diversification benefit in multi-asset portfolios from equities and bonds has been absolutely remarkable. In every bear market, you had the bond market buffering equity losses. And you had on top of that, a downtrend in bond yields, which meant the return was positive and you had a hedge in your portfolio. And going forward, that's unlikely to be the case because bond yields are, of course, very low now. So the ability to fall further and buffer equity losses is more constrained. And as a result of that, multi-asset portfolios are getting more risky. And you have the risk as well if inflation does pick up. As I said earlier, the, the prospects for inflation to kind of surprise to the upside have increased. If that's the case, you might actually see the equity bond correlation become less negative. Because that's been a really remarkable thing. We've, we're in the longest period of negative equity bond correlation in the last 150 years. Actually, negative equity bond correlation are the exception rather than the rule. And we really wonder if we reach the end of that benefit we have. And not only that, in multi-asset portfolios, everything is somewhat linked to the real yield. And what we've seen in the last 30 years is that real yields have trended down. And that has gotten particularly extreme in the last few months. And why does it matter for assets? Like real yields, like the tips yield in the market is a bit like your benchmark. Everything you want to compare to the real yield you get from investing in an index-linked bond, which gives you a guaranteed type return after inflation. So equities are benchmarked to that. Gold is benchmarked to that. Every asset. So when tips yields are actually coming down at the margin, everything is getting more attractive. But if tips yields are going up at the margin, everything is getting less attractive. So in the last 35 years, tips yields have trended down, especially in the last few months. Everything has gotten a boost from that. But now we actually see the risk that tips yields could start to go up in risk off. Why is that? So the nominal yield is now anchored on the way up because central banks have guided that they want to kind of really stay on hold until growth is recovering. But it's also bounded to the downside 
because you can't go much lower. No bond yields are close to zero, which means the major driver in terms of volatility in rates will be inflation expectations. And that has certainly been the case in the past few weeks. You saw inflation expectations pick up, pushing down the real yield, boosting gold, boosting the S&P, and really supporting most assets. And that's been a key driver of the recovery. But the risk now is that if you have a growth shock and the market gets worried about deflation again, that you kind of see a decline in inflation expectations. And nominal yields cannot go down anymore, which means you push up the real yields. And suddenly you will see gold, S&P, bonds, all of those assets go down together. So diversification across assets might actually become less useful in the portfolio. And what we discuss in the report is what you might want to focus more on going forward is diversification within assets, which most people have given up on because in the last few years, equity markets, bond markets were really correlated. But once you enter a new regime where inflation comes back, where political risk plays a role, where you actually see like the virus waves being more localized, there is potentially a kind of case to diversify a bit across equities, to diversify across bond markets, for example, also into emerging markets bonds. So that's fascinating. Yeah, the correlations have been so strong in recent years. Your research also talks about an interesting dynamic around market timing becoming more important versus time in the market. So explain what you mean by that. Yeah, it's a really funny thing, but one of the best things you could have done in the last decade is do nothing, no? (laughs) Because if you would have just bought the S&P and sat on it, or if you would have bought a 60-40 portfolio, you would have had one of the best sharp ratios in history by literally not touching it because everything has gone up together. And we had, of course, bear markets and drawdowns, but they recovered quite quickly. So as a result of that, we had all-time highs on the S&P. So to some extent, you shouldn't have done any market timing. And to give you a sense, the kind of return you got on the S&P in the last decade has been one of the strongest. So, so like a buy and hold investor didn't need to market time. And we think going forward, when the returns for equities are starting to be lower on average and possibly lower than the long-run averages as well, then the pressure to do market timing is increasing on a relative basis. But also what we find is that the market timing opportunity might get better if you have more volatility and if you have a fat and flat range, because that's really when you can start to think about timing more aggressively. A good example is, of course, Japan. Japan has been stuck in a fat and flat range since most of the 90s. And there were huge swings in the market, bull and bear markets. And there was a big benefit of market timing, whereas a buy and hold investor would have more or less had a very poor equity return just sitting on the market. And we're not saying that's exactly the same scenario we're expecting for global equities from here, but there is a risk that returns are going to be flatter and fatter, so there's more opportunity for market timing. I mean, market timing is obviously notoriously difficult. And I always say, they kind of always give the best example why time in the market has been winning in the past few years as a strategy. So if you would have owned the S&P 500 since 1900, and you just sat on it and you did nothing, your return would have been roughly 10%. If you would have bought the US 10-year bond and you would have sat on it since 1900, you would have made roughly 5%. So your excess return for equities was roughly 5%, equity risk premium. So now, if you were the best market timer in history, and every month when you had the worst month every year, you would have missed that and just gone out of the market and gone back after you would have doubled your equity return. But if you actually missed the best month, so you're the worst market timer, you could say, 
your equity return would have dropped to something like 2 to 3%. You would have lost all the equity risk premium. You would have been better just owning bonds. And that's the big problem with market timing. So you want to have a process that you have confidence in. And I think a lot of the clients we speak to, they have been happy with kind of constructing a robust portfolio and just stick to buy and hold. They have done very little market timing. And we think that the prospect of market timing becoming more important is very good. But it's very difficult. i give you one other example. This is my favorite. So this year, if you missed the best days, of the S&P 500, the five best days, you would still be down 40%. Imagine that. <laughs> if you would have missed the best days, if you would have just sat on the S&P, you already recovered all your losses here to date. So that is kind of how dangerous market timing can also be if you're on the wrong side. And I think one final thing I would say with regards to that is that also tells me that the value of options is increasing. Like in the last decade, there has been a huge focus on carry. Like investors were really, because of the decline in yields, looking at options as a carry trade, selling options to generate carry. But my sense is that if you are really in a fat and flat range with lower returns and more volatility, the value of options to manage risks really picks up. And this crisis has shown that. Like buying put options has been one of the best ways to protect portfolios. So to me, that's also a conclusion. Like if you are in a fat and flat range and you're not comfortable with market timing, I think options might be one way for you to manage risk a bit more actively. Well, Christian, thanks for sharing a bit of the report today. We'll have to have you back in a little bit to see how it's holding up, but a pleasure talking to you today. Thanks for having me. That's all for this week's Markets Update on Exchanges of Goldman Sachs. And in case you missed it, check out our other episode this week with Heath Terry of Goldman Sachs Research on how robotics are accelerating the e-commerce surge since the pandemic began. Thanks for listening and hope everyone has a great and safe weekend. This podcast was recorded on Thursday, July 30th in the year 2020. Thanks for listening. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.